Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Wednesday night equipped service. We're excited for tonight, and I'm Chad, and um, I'm Marsha, and thank you to our multi generational band. How was that? <laughs> So tonight we're continuing our series, Hall of Faith, and Pastor Lynn is going to be sharing with us tonight, and it's going to be on faith. A faith that is confident. Faith that is confident. So, um, <laughs> I, I, can I tell the story? Okay, sorry. Oh, dear. I'm so when Pastor Lynn was preparing this, um, this message, I asked her, so what are you preaching on? And she said this was her verse. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus Exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. And I said, that's it? Like you're preaching about his bones? But there's so much more in that statement. And she's going to unpack that for us, right? Yes, and we're looking forward to that. So um, why don't you take out your Bibles and your app, if you want to take your notes on that. And then let's welcome up Pastor Lynn as she speaks on... A faithful confidence. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. It works tonight. <laughs> I turned it on before I came up and realized it wasn't muted. Sorry about that, guys. But you know what? Pastor Sheldon does. He turns it on as he's walking up the stairs. No can do. I would just trip up the stairs. <laughs> well, we have been in an awesome series. I hope you guys have enjoyed the Hall of Faith as much as I have, because it's a very strategic chapter in Scripture. And we have been learning to grow through getting to see a little bit into the lives of great men who are listed by the author of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith, what we're calling it. And tonight, as Pastor Marcia introduced, um, we are going to talk about Joseph tonight, and he is our Hall of Father. Does that sound right? Hall of Father, yeah. <laughs> so tonight we're going to talk about a faith that is confident. Um, so I hope you brought your Bibles or get your phones out, because we're going to look at some scripture tonight. And Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews, the first verse in Hebrews 11 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Can I bring this up a little bit? Is that okay? Is that okay with the cameras? Thank you. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words... Whatever God has promised, we get to believe, whether we see its fulfillment in this life or not. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Just a little bit of Bible trivia for you. You know, we're talking about the patriarchs, you know, from Abel through next week will be Moses. Okay, so all those great men, Noah and Jacob and Joseph today, and in Scripture... In the Old Testament, there are 127 messianic prophecies. <clears throat> messianic prophecies meaning promises about the coming Messiah, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's over 3,000 verses that explain those prophecies. And of those 3,000 verses, 574 talk about a personal Messiah. So all of these guys that we've been studying about in the book of Hebrews, they would have known at least some of those prophecies about the Messiah. They would have known that God had a specific plan for the children of Israel and for mankind. But did they get to see the coming of the Messiah? No, they didn't. But they had awesome faith 
They didn't get to see the fulfillment of that promise, but they still had faith that endured, faith that is confident, faith that is strong. So Joseph was confident in God's promise to Israel. And verse 22, my only verse, my only verse, not the only one I'm going to share tonight, but the only verse I get (laughs) out of Hebrews 11 is verse 22. And it says, By faith, Joseph was dying and made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph was so confident in God's promise to Israel that he made sure that when they got there, when they got to the land of promise, that his bones would be there. He made them promise that he would take them. He was not going to be left behind. So I want, I want my faith to not only be confident, I want to be stubborn. I want to be stubborn in grabbing hold of everything that God has for me. How about you guys? Yes, amen. We do want that. So like Joseph, as we're going to see in the story uh, of Joseph, he had many hardships that he had to endure. And a lot of us have a lot of hardships in our lives. There isn't one person in this room that hasn't suffered a hardship or will not again suffer a hardship. But through it all, there is always God's blessing. There is always God's faithfulness. I want to have that confident, stubborn faith like Joseph had. They don't need to take my bones, though. I like new ones in the next life. (laughs) They can leave my bones, but I want to have that confident faith. So tonight, I thought I'd be kind of cool, you know, and, and use, the, use this like Pastor Sheldon. Actually, I really won't be cool like Pastor Sheldon until I teach out of an iPad. But since I'm technically challenged, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> Last week, Pastor Sheldon talked about Jacob. And he talked about a faith that endures. So Jacob had a faith that endures. Joseph has a faith that is confident. Okay, so he was so confident in God's promises, they had to take his bones to the promised land. So just as by way of review, we had Abraham, and he had Isaac and Ishmael, and Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and then he talked about Jacob a little bit, and Jacob's son is Joseph, okay? So Jacob was the son, the firstborn son of Jacob and Rachel. And Rachel was the love of Jacob's life. So, you know, the firstborn of the love of his life is going to be his favorite son. And he made no bones, pardon the pun, about him being his favorite. And so I wanted to go through a little bit of the story of Jacob and his pursuit of God's promises. And the story covers from Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50. So we're not going to read all that tonight. Everybody go, we're not going to read that many chapters. But I do want you to get the highlights of the story of Joseph. So we're going to go through that first. And let me tell you, this story is Hollywood-made. I mean, I think they probably have several movies of it, but it is a story for the ages. There's a lot to it. So, first and foremost, Joseph was the firstborn of Jacob and Rachel, as I said. And because he was his father's favorite, 
uh, Jacob made for him a coat of many colors. And that coat represented his favoritism to the nth, nth degree. Do you think that made his brothers happy? No, it did not. They were um, extremely angry about this because Joseph then became a threat to them of their inheritance. He was not the firstborn. There were uh, 10 brothers before him. And then there was Joseph and then his brother Benjamin. So there were 10 brothers before him. The oldest one's name was Reuben. And Reuben would have missed out on his inheritance if uh, Jacob had made Joseph his favorite. So they were not happy. In fact, um, chapter 34, or excuse me, 37, verse 4, says that the brothers hated him. Now, at the age of 17, Joseph had two dreams. God gave him two dreams. One of the dreams, they were out in a field, and each of them were represented by a sheaf, a sheaf of hay. So there were 11 sheaths all around in this field and one sheaf in the middle and all the other sheaths were bowing down before him. And Joseph was the sheaf in the middle. He made uh, that very clear to his brothers. The second dream he told them about was there was the sun and the moon and the stars. There were 11 stars and they were all bowing to him. Now those dreams did come from God the Father. They did come from him. But Joseph, you know, he made no, um, he didn't tell it to his brothers in a very humble fashion. He was pretty arrogant about it. And how do you think they reacted? <clears throat> they were uh, not pleased. He was more than just a pesky little brother. They really, their hate just started to grow and grow in them. But <clears throat> when Joseph proclaimed the dreams to his brothers, he was also proclaiming God's plan for him. He had an inner sense of his own powerful destiny. So don't mistake just a bragging, you know, 17-year-old for someone who just wants to be a big deal. Joseph knew in his heart that God had a particular destiny for him. Okay, excuse me. Okay, so his brothers, again, their hatred grew beyond measure, and I don't know why, the scripture doesn't give the reason why, but Joseph, uh, Jacob decided to send Joseph to find his brothers. So Joseph is on his way, and they're not where the father said they were, but he meets a man on the road, and in Jewish history, in rabbinical history, that, is, uh, that man is always represented as an angel, and the, and the, the man or the angel, whichever it is, told them where, that they, ha where they had moved to. So where they were keeping the sheep. So when he was coming to find them, from far away, the brothers started plotting how they were going to kill Joseph. So Reuben, the eldest, decides that he can't let them kill because he knows that that would be the end of his father Jacob because Jacob so loved Joseph. So he stops them. So instead, they throw him down a dark well and they leave him there to die until they see a passing caravan of merchants. So the merchants, <clears throat> um, they're on their way to, to Egypt, and they sell Joseph as a slave to these merchants. Well, along the way, Joseph's uh, articulation and his intelligence becomes very clear to them, and they know that uh, a young man of 17 who is strong and intelligent and articulate 
would fetch a pretty good price in Egypt. So they end up selling him to an Egyptian official called Potiphar. So <clears throat> Potiphar takes him into his house, and Joseph, because he's in the house of an official, decides, oh, I think God is going to use this in my life. And so he starts to work hard and become noticed by Potiphar. And, <clears throat> um, excuse me, and then... <clears throat> He sell, excuse me, Joseph sees this as an opportunity, and before long, he works his way up the ladder. That's a pun, too, because there's a thing called Jacob's Ladder. But anyway, <laughs> he works his way up, and he becomes second in command in Potiphar's house. That's pretty amazing. Now, that I don't know the timetable, you know, if he turned 18 yet or not, but he was still a very young man. And all was going well for him until Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to him, and tries to seduce him, and he refuses her, so she spreads rumors that he raped her, and so he's tried in a court, and he's thrown into prison. So here he is, thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, and then he is uh, sold to Potiphar's house, becomes second in command, and then he's in prison. So while he's in prison, he meets a couple other servants who he has, uh, who has been, who have been thrown there and become out of Pharaoh's uh, favor, and uh, he, they each have a dream, and so Joseph interprets their dreams for them, and one of them dies, and he's told that he will die, and the other one lives. So because he had done that, when the servant returned to Pharaoh, the king's house, am, am I going, am I explaining this okay? Okay, so there's Potiphar, and then there's Pharaoh. So <laughs> Pharaoh's house, then he... Um, uh, starts having these horrible dreams, Pharaoh does. And the uh, cupbearer that was in prison with Joseph returns to Pharaoh's house, and no one can interpret these dreams. And Pharaoh is very, very disturbed. And so the cupbearer comes to him and tells him about a Hebrew that he met in prison that could interpret dreams. So they bring Joseph to stand before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him his dreams, and he interprets all of them. And he doesn't only interpret them, he tells them what to do. And the, the dreams were concerning a famine that was going to come and devastate the land. Excuse me and devastate the land, and um, there would be seven years of plenty, and then there would be seven years of famine. So Joseph, and the wisdom that God had given him, says, during the seven years of plenty, let's, let's cultivate more than we need and store and store up for the years of famine. So Pharaoh decides to make him second in command. So he's gone from being in that pit to second in command in the king's house. So Joseph becomes his right-hand man, and he's given the, ability, the responsibility of making sure that Egypt is okay during the famine. So traders start to come to Egypt because they have storehouses full of grain, and during this famine, it just wipes out lots of places all around Egypt and in the neighboring countries, and so all these traders come, including Joseph's brothers. So Joseph comes, and they don't, or excuse me, his brothers come, and they don't recognize Joseph but he recognizes them. And a plot kind of starts to unfold, and I wish we could go into this, another story for another time. But what happens is, Joseph so wants to see his brother Benjamin that he creates a plot by putting his cup, uh, special cup that he had, into the saddlebags, and they knew they were in trouble and they had to come back. Anyway, 
the, the brothers all end up bowing to Joseph, and they know that he has control. This Egyptian lord has control over them. <clears throat> so that is the story up until now. Remember the dream of the sheaves of, of wheat bowing to Joseph. Remember the dream of the 11 stars in the sky bowing to Joseph. This is part of the fulfillment of that. So just so I can be cool, I have a chart to make. <laughs> okay. So here's what happened to the pesky little brother. First of all, he is, he is called the dreamer. Okay? And then he becomes a slave. Then he becomes second in command. Whoops. Okay. Then he becomes a prisoner. So we'll do this. Oh, well, I'm just not as cool as Pastor Sheldon. Anyway, <laughs> um, he becomes second in And then he becomes uh, second in command and then becomes a prisoner. Okay, then he becomes a dream interpreter. Then he becomes Pharaoh, Pharaoh's right hand, second in command, okay? And then he becomes the one who blesses and saves his brothers. Okay, so I don't know if you can read that or not, but he goes from being a dreamer through lots of hardships, lots of scary things, and then in the end, he becomes the one who is the salvation of his family and of many in Egypt. And in scripture, um, Joseph is known more than any of the other patriarchs as a type of Christ, meaning that he represents all that Jesus was going to become for us. So it's a really good study, <clears throat> but um, just wanted you to kind of get all the things that Joseph went through. So what do we get out of that story? What do we see about Joseph's faith through all of that? And again, I wish we could read the story out of the scripture, but it's far too long for tonight. But first and foremost, out of this story of Joseph, we see that God is with Joseph in his vulnerability and in his rejection. First and foremost, he is with him through all those hardships. So Joseph didn't need to be afraid. He knew what God had planted in his heart. He knew that God had destined him for something great. I hope you know that as well. I hope you know that God has a plan for your life. And in each one of us, in different ways, we get to do great things for the Lord. So Joseph was not to be afraid. And one of my favorite scriptures, a scripture that somebody gave, gave me long ago when I was just beginning my journey, was 2 Timothy 1.7. And it says this, For God did not give us a spirit of, humil of, of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Write that one down, because it's always a good one to go back to. Joseph, though, had to grow in his faith. God took him on a journey, just like he takes all of us on a journey. And I was thinking about um, uh, when I first came to know the Lord. 
And I think I told you well, last time I spoke the story of what a little zealot I was when I first received Jesus as my Savior. I was 16 years old, and I was so excited to know the Lord. I loved him so much, and I wanted everybody else to know about him, and I had zeal to go around. My sister and I decided to start a Bible study at our high school right after, right after we got saved. And it was the 70s, it was the Jesus movement, and so all these Christians came out of the woodwork, including the football captain, the head cheerleader, all of those who were seen a lot. Everybody started coming to this Bible study. We got people to do it for us because we didn't know what we were talking about, but boy, we had the zeal. We were going to save the world for Jesus. Well, there was an English teacher in my high school who was like the cool teacher and, you know, young, and he was pretty agnostic and kind of alarmed that all this Jesus stuff was going on in the high school, so he decided to have a debate. <clears throat> he, was, he decided that he was going to um, <clears throat> have a debate on God is dead. So guess who he chose to be on the God is not dead side? Me. And I don't even remember who I was up against, but it wasn't a pretty picture, let me tell you, because I had all this zeal, but I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't have experience with my faith yet. But I was raring to go, and I thought I was prepared, and I was humiliated. And it was so bad that he actually came and apologized to me later. But it was such a test of my faith. And if you're just beginning just beginning in your faith with Jesus, if you just recently received him as your Savior and Lord, you got to start somewhere. And it's okay to be zealous. It's okay to have that zeal. But God wants you to have more than zeal. He wants you to have confidence. And that's what we're going to see how to accomplish tonight. <clears throat> okay, so um, he had that beginning faith. The, the thing to remember is don't give up. Even when Joseph was thrown into the pit, he didn't give up. He still knew that God had destined him for something and he was going to hang on to that. I'm sure that that was not, that that was a pretty scary situation. I can't imagine that being left in a dark pit by yourself to die and, you know, there probably wasn't walls so it would have been muddy and I don't like bugs so there probably have been lots of bugs and stuff like that in there. But as Joseph was growing, he was also maturing in his faith. And that's kind of our next step. We have this beginning faith that includes lots of zealousness and we're gung-ho to follow Jesus. And then it gets tested. We hang in there and then we start maturing in our faith. And you know what? Even the Apostle Paul did that. <clears throat> um, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he says to the Philippians, I haven't attained perfection yet. He says, but I press on, and I'm going to read how he says it, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus possessed me. So in other words, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing on to get to that place that God ordained for me to get to by his son, Jesus Christ. He purchased a lot for us on the cross, didn't he? He purchased a lot. And he has an incredible plan for you, an incredible plan for you to be used in his kingdom, just like Joseph. So he went on from maturing faith to a seasoned faith. It was the kind of carry my bones faith, that mature faith, that kind of faith that believes no matter what. Do you know that, 
that Joseph was telling them to take his bones, and that didn't happen for 400 years. So he was buried in a, whatever he was buried in, like a mummy or something, in Egypt for 400 years before Moses took his bones into the promised land or on the way to the promised land. <clears throat> so first of all, we get to, um, we, we get from this story that God was with him in his vulnerability and his rejection. Okay, so I know some of us can identify with that. I don't like being vulnerable. I like to be in control, but there have been plenty of times in my life where I wasn't in control, and all I could do was trust in Jesus, was have faith that he would get me through the hardship that I was going through. Secondly, we learn from the story that through Joseph's trust in those hard times, he was able to save his people. He was able to save not only his family, but people of other nations as well. God has a plan for each of us, and the interesting thing to me is that not only does he <clears throat> bring us through trials and through hardships, but he orchestrates eternal things within those hardships so that when we get on the other side, awesome things have happened, and we have grown and are ready for the next challenge of life. So what did James say to rejoice in every tribulation because it works patience in you? In other words, you get to grow through things that are hard sometimes. But when we know that, when we know that God is faithful to bring us through those things, then we can endure a hardship with a positive, uh, a know, all-knowing, a confidence that God is going to work in and through us to perfect us. Okay, so... <clears throat> um, Genesis chapter 3, I just wanted to, to read a couple of the scriptures for you. Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, chap, excuse me, chapter 39, verse 3. Says this, and the ma his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. He's talking about Potiphar there. And then verse 21 of the same chapter, says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So even when Joseph was in prison, he knew that God's hand was on him. He never forsakes us. He is always faithful. The heart of the story, of this story, though, is the forgiveness of the victim for, of those who have wronged him. And basically, remember I said that Joseph was kind of a type of, of Christ? Basically, it is the story of the cross. Jesus endured suffering and death so that we might be saved, didn't he? But Joseph um, experienced a forgiveness for his family that could only be from God and from the knowing that God had a plan in it. So how do I become more confident in my faith? How do I attain that? How do I get from that beginning faith and start maturing in my faith and get to that take my bones kind of faith? How do I get there? Well, first and foremost, you get to know his promises. And no matter how mature you are in Jesus, you always have to be reminded of God's promises. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what Romans 10 says. So um, and, and John 8 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's right. And then, just to back that all up, guess what a couple, verse, a couple chapters later in the book of John says? I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. When you get to know God's promises, you get to know the Savior. When you get to know the Savior, you get to know the promises of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, I was going to read you just a couple promises, just because when I was preparing, I had one of those Holy Spirit moments <laughs> where I went, oh, this is cool. Look at what this says. But here's just a few prom I won't read the whole page, but here's just a few of the promises. And you can close your eyes if you want to and just hear again the promises of God. You're on your way to confident faith. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The biggest promise of all. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Psalms 84.11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalms 103, 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities, and he heals all your diseases. James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give freely and liberally to all. Isaiah 26, 3. He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And how about this one? John 14, verses 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That, those are some of the amazing promises that God has given us. So we get to know his promises. And secondly, we get to be accountable to others. Philippians 1, 27 through 29, Paul is writing to this church that he so loves. And he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I don't get to see you, I may hear that you stand fast in one spirit and that with one mind you are striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, for you are saved. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. For it is granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We are all going to experience some times of suffering, but what God has given us is his body, the body of Christ, and we so need one another. In hard times, in joyous times, in learning times, in times of trial, we, we need one another. There is nothing that the support of others, uh, there's nothing to replace the support of others when you're going through something, or the wisdom and counsel of a friend. Or there's nothing like sharing with others in the joy of the fulfillment of a promise that God has given you. We need one another. And that brings me to our third point, and I have four, that, okay, so we know his promises, we are accountable to others, and we need to be forgiven. Jo forgiving. Joseph could not have completed the plan that God had for the children of Israel if he had not forgiven his brothers. Do you realize that? If in that story he had not forgiven those brothers who threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery, if he had not forgiven them, God could not have performed what he did for the children of Israel. 
In fact, um, Joseph's brother Judah is actually, it was from his descendants that the great men of Israel come, like David and Paul, and that whole messianic line comes from the line of Judah. So had he said, I don't want anything to do with you, and I have the authority to kill you all. You tried to kill me, so there, take that. None of God's promises for Israel would have been fulfilled. It's a pretty important, incredible, amazing part of this story. So um, Genesis 45, verses 5, 7, and 8. This is his forgiving of, uh, of his brothers. Verse 5 says, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And I don't know, I think at this time, he probably wasn't as arrogant as he was when he was telling them about the dreams. (laughs) I think he was probably saying, this is the truth, you know. Don't, um, uh, Don't be angry or grieved with yourselves because God had a plan. That's what he's telling his brothers. Verses seven and eight in that same chapter say, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So what he's doing is he's saying, even though you meant evil, and there's another scripture in, in, uh, in chapter 50, verse 20, that says what you meant for evil, God turned to good. So if we are believing in his promises, if we are confident in his faithfulness, God will get you through. God will get you through to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in and through your life. Okay, so be forgiving and then be steadfast. That's the fourth one. And what that means is you hold on to, you stubbornly hold fast to what you know to be true. If you know God's promises, you know the truth. You hold fast to that. Even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of hopelessness, hold fast to what you know to be true. Pursue him. We, be determined to lay hold of all that he has for you. 1 Corinthians, John, or 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, be immovable. No matter what's going on in your life, be steadfast. Have that confident, take my bones kind of faith. Okay. Um, I wanted to read for you, most of you know who uh, um, Elwin Ahu is. He's one of our four-square pastors on Oahu. He pastors Metro Christian Church. And I think that's the name of it now, not New Hope, but it's one of our New Hope churches. And um, his son, Brandon, has come twice to speak at our legacy camp. And so I think Elwin came one Sunday morning and shared with us as well. And I wanted to read you um, just a section of an article that he wrote for Foursquare Leadership Magazine. And um, uh, and I think it's about five years ago, Elwin was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of leukemia and it was painful and it was um, like I said very aggressive and took him totally by surprise and so what he endured wasn't just nice little treatments it was excruciating for him and so he writes 
this in all of his experience. Doubt created voids in my faith that I chose to fill with frustration. This is a pastor, okay, going through the hardest thing he had ever gone through before. Night after night, I protested against my creator, projecting my fears on him. Albeit disguised as if I was truly seeking an answer, why must I suffer? What have I done to deserve this? Are you punishing me for my sins? This is Pastor Elwin. And his reply was simple. While connected to tubes of antibiotics, blood transfusions, and other medical necessities, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, you've studied my word, and you've preached my word, now you must live my word. Anyone can read, study, sing, and preach God's word, but how many are truly able to live and trust in his word? and to suffer while, he, while still standing on his word in the face of reality and its unexpected bat- battles that we encounter every day. In my fiery trial that I battled every day, devotions were no longer an, just an exercise. The scriptures ceased to be simply words on paper. Prayers became more than a reverent recitation of familiar phrases. God's word empowered me to conquer my fight against all odds. His word prompted me to stop focusing on my premises and to start believing on his promises. And I lived out his promises in the midst of my problems. That's when, as I lived out his promises in the midst of my problems, that's when I experienced the miraculous. God's peace amid the fire. Though he yet slay me, yet will I trust him. That's what Job said. And God did not disappoint. By grace today, I am cancer-free. So, Pastor Elwin, yes, hallelujah, hallelujah. Pastor Elwin, who knew the scripture, who preached the scripture, had to learn how to live the scripture. So, in our hard times, in our challenging times, in times of uncertainty, allow the Lord to work in you so that he can work through you. Allow him to help you have that take my bones kind of faith. I don't get to see the promise right now. I can't see past all of the stuff that's going on, but I will hold fast to what you have said in your word. I will hold fast to who you are, Lord Jesus. That's what we get to say. That's a confident faith. I want that. How about you? I do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. But most of all, Lord, thank you that as even though you are the God of the universe, you are my personal Messiah. You are our personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you suffered and what you forgave and what you accomplished on the cross so that I could live with you forever, so that I could be a part of your body, the Church of Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue throughout this week, Lord Jesus, continue to remind us of your promises, to continue, Lord Jesus, to remind us to forgive others, to remind us to be accountable to others, to remind us, Lord Jesus, to be steadfast in our faith. Lord, I pray that you would just, by your Holy Spirit again, reveal, just even in little things this week, your faithfulness to us. Make this 
um, sermon personal. I just ask in your precious name. I want to see that, Lord. And I want for myself and for all who are here, I want so much, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to guide and teach us how to have that kind of confidence in you that takes us through no matter what, that uses us no matter what to bring other people to you. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would give revelation in your word this week to each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence among us. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you, Pastor Lynn. What an amazing story that Joseph has in it. You know, when we can read his story in the Bible, but I just try to imagine living that out. I just can't imagine how he would have done it with if he didn't have a heart for the Lord. Um, Pastor Marsha, what did you get tonight? Well, the same thing. I was thinking, you know, when Pastor Lynn, when she said that, I want to have a stubborn faith. And I thought, you know, that's what I want. I want to be able to, no matter what, I know the promises of God. And I don't care what I see around me. I know the promises of God. And I'm going to trust in that. So, yeah, that's what I learned. You know, tonight I got to talk to one of our youth, and he he asked me, um, he wanted to grow more in the Lord. And so he asked what he could do. Um, He shared with me that he just got saved, and he just wanted more of God in his life, but he didn't know his purpose or what he's called to. And so I shared with him, you know, sometimes the Lord will maybe give us a vision, and he'll kind of show us, you know, something for our life. And sometimes maybe we don't get to see that or hear that yet. But I told him what you can do is wherever God has you, you start with your relationship with him today. We get to serve wherever we're at. We get to be in the word and in prayer. And where God places you, he'll bring you to that promise that he has for you. Sometimes we think, okay, God showed me this. So I'm going to do the most logical thing to get there. But that might not be the direction that the Lord has for you. So we can have that confident faith that where he has you now, just rest in that. Be faithful in that, and then he'll lead the way. He'll guide you. He'll, he'll direct those steps for you. And that's the faith that we can have in him, that no matter our circumstances, whether we're going through difficulty, through trials, through hurt, through great things, that he is with us and he will guide us through. That's true. You know, I heard somebody say today, um, faith is living in advance, which you'll only understand in reverse. And that's what your message was about, and it was awesome.